0: To soccer 101, the podcast in which we attempt to scratch the soccer itches you never knew you had. I stole that line from Ryan Bailey, and I think it still works. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and this week we're heading to the land of Bluey and Bingo to discuss the A-Leagues, or more specifically, the A-League men, which is, I will admit, when I first was uh, researching this one, a documentary I thought was about the men of the A-League, but that is not the case. We'll get into that uh, distinction here in a few. First, I should introduce my co-host. It's Mr. Graham Ruthven Graham, I thought about setting you up with any number of bad Australia jokes yeah. or an Aussie accent. Instead, we're just going straight forward with this one. Mustn't do an accent. Mustn't do an accent. Hello, tiller Rotwell. How are you? <laughs> Hello. I am I am well now. Amongst the many interesting things I learned about the A-League in preparation for this episode, one of them is that Graham watches the A-League. Graham, let's talk about it. So
1: A-League games are just well-timed for me on a Saturday morning. So there's normally a game on around about 9 or 10 in the morning for me. So it's just, there's nothing else on TV that I want to watch at that time. And so I I can't profess to being an expert because it's very much sort of background watching for me as I'm having a coffee or a bacon sandwich or whatever and kind of playing with my daughter but yeah i will have an a-league game on in the background on a saturday morning It's, it's it's enjoyable like there's a i'll talk about a little bit more about this later on but there is like a chaos factor to the
0: league that makes it enjoyable for me to watch we need to find a weekend in which there's like maybe like the Egypt Derby, Al Ahly and Zamalek, so that you could just really go through each time zone. You could start with the A League, uh, A League Men, then you could go to like something in the Middle East, and you could go to Europe, then Western Europe, then you get East Coast US for MLS, and then maybe West Coast MLS to round out the day, and then you really watch global football. I feel like that's a thing that you could do.
1: Possibly, yeah. Like through every time zone. Yep. This feels like it could be an episode this summer when there's maybe not a lot on it's
0: for to it's to set that task for me and uh and see how it goes i am i am very into that but first we should probably talk about the a league itself let's start with the basics graham how many teams what's the format what are we looking at this is all with an eye towards the uh the final which is this weekend that's why we're talking about the league itself
1: so let's start even more basic than that. So the, the A-League is the name given mm-hmm. to the top division of soccer in Australia. I know a lot of listeners will know that, but there might be some out there who are not familiar with that league, not familiar with Australian soccer. So it's the, it's the Australian top flight. There was an American soccer league called the A-League in the 90s. Yes, it's not was. that. Um, this is the Australian top division. And we should also clarify, and Taylor, you've already kind of done this, but we should also clarify that the full name of the league we're talking about today is A-League men. So there is also A-League women, which is the top division of women's soccer in Australia. That was rebranded a couple years ago to bring the two under the same umbrella, which I quite like. But today we're talking about the men's league. So when I I say the A-League, we're talking about A-League men today. There are currently 12 teams in the A-League and those teams are Adelaide United, Brisbane Roar, Central Coast Mariners, MacArthur FC, a team that I wasn't too familiar with, I have to admit, Melbourne City, they're part of the City Football Group, Melbourne Victory, Newcastle Jets, Perth Glory, Sydney FC, Wellington Phoenix, who play in New Zealand, and uh, final two teams, Western Sydney Wanderers and Western United. In terms of the format, the regular season runs from October to April and each team plays 26 fixtures in this part of the season, It is a lopsided schedule because of the number of teams, but if you play two home games against one team one season, it then flips for the following season. If you win the regular season, you are the A-League Premiers, and they get a nice plate trophy. So that's the Supporters' Shield equivalent. Joe will be very happy with that. And then there's a playoff series called the A-League Finals. That's for the top six clubs from the regular season. You have two semi semi-finals, a third playoff playoff, a third place playoff, excuse me, and then the grand final, which is uh, incidentally, uh, I think was originally scheduled for this week, but has been moved weirdly to next week. And there's some controversy around that. But anyway, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it is imminent, the grand final, this season's grand final, and it is between Melbourne City and the Central Coast Mariners, almost like we planned this episode to coincide with that match almost um, and there is no promotion or relegation in the league so that this format sounds does it sound pretty familiar to you taylor does it It sound kind of similar to another league that you might have heard of
0: it does and and that's a confusing uh road to go down because i think oftentimes major league soccer and uh, a league men are are very much compared or seen as similar leagues you have what marquee players in uh, the A-League or A-League men, uh, and then you also still have designated players there. You have the the equivalent in Major League Soccer. There's no Pro-Rel. I think they also call it soccer. Uh, similar schedules, like I-, I believe. So you get some of those uh, c- like parallels that I think end up making people think they're very similar, but I don't know how similar Major League Soccer and uh, the A-League men are, specifically from the... I guess the way that they've expanded and then contracted and then expanded again, Uh, MLS had similar growing pains. But when you look at the way the league's established, it's on the heels of the National Soccer League being disbanded in 2004. You get the establishment of the A-League in 2005 with eight teams. And then you're adding some and then some stop and then some change their names. And there again is, is, I think, similarity in the way that the league sort of found their footing, but whereas MLS has now massively expanded, as yeah. you said, we only have the 12 teams in Australia right now.
1: So it feels like the A-League in its current form is is sort of similar to MLS maybe 10 or even 15 years ago. So I think there are a lot of similarities between why the E-League was established and why MLS was established. Mm. You kind of covered it briefly there. There was a, a, a National Soccer League before the a league That's literally what it was called, the NSL, the National Soccer League. It started in the 70s, did pretty well in the 80s and in the, the 90s as well, it enjoyed some success, but then ran into financial difficulties in, in the 90s, as you say, was disbanded in 2004. And then almost immediately the a league is, is, is announced. It involves eight teams, as you say, Taylor. The inaugural season is in 2005. And this is where there are there are some similarities between the A-League at this point and maybe MLS 2.0. So the, the league at this point was more tactile in where it awarded franchises. So they got 20 applications from different cities. They only awarded eight places because essentially they didn't want to run before they could walk, which is what MLS did for a long time, obviously after the collapse of the NASL and what happened in the 70s and 80s didn't want to go too big too soon the a league was was pretty similar and they've kind of been in that arrested development state of of state of growth for for a while i, I still think they're kind of in that in that position right now going back to the origins of the of the a league it was designed to kind of package and market the sport in australia better and you had hyundai coming on board as the as the title sponsor from very early on which was a big deal and that was kind of a big difference was between the two was there was more money coming into the A-League than than the old NSL. And over the years, several clubs have been rebranded. So Wellington Phoenix, for example, they started out as um, New Zealand Knights. Melbourne Heart became Melbourne City in 2010 when City Football Group bought the club and, and rebranded it in line with the the city identity and um, it's gone from eight teams to 12 teams now it'll be 14 teams from next year when Canberra and Auckland get teams I think the plan is for that number to grow to 16 two years after that and going on the reporting I could find the, the plan is to push that number up to 18 teams by the end of the decade so they are they are trying to accelerate expansion now there are reasons which we'll talk about more uh, more later in the, in, in the show about why this acceleration is happening specifically now. But it feels like maybe a league over the next 10 years could potentially make up
0: some ground on the league that we keep comparing it to, MLS. I, I think so. And I think with everything you've just gone through, Graham, there are even more parallels than I really thought of, including when you say you think there are similarities to Major League Soccer of 10 to 15 years ago. Well, if we're talking about a league that's founded in 2005... MLS founded in, or like starts operating in 1996. So yeah, that timeline checks out. But then you look at, say, 2009, they add two expansion franchises uh, Gold Coast United, North Queensland Fury. Uh, Gold Coast, I think, last three seasons, North Queensland last two. And while those two are folding, you get Melbourne Hart uh, added. That feels very similar to the Chicago Fire coming on board in 1998, uh, while at the same time having – or I think in a similar time period having Tampa Bay Mutiny and the Miami yeah, Fusion should, fold. the two Florida teams. Yeah, so you're getting teams folding, teams being added. And a sort of idea that we're figuring it out and maybe it's working, maybe it's not. I remember those conversations about how the league was trying to convince everyone that uh, reducing the number of teams was a good thing. And I think the A-League was probably trying to do similar things. But to your point, it does now feel like there is more stability. You add to a second franchise in Sydney, a second franchise in Melbourne, that. To me, it harkens to two two franchises in New York, two franchises in L.A. You want to have more teams in your bigger areas where you can support that market and and even get more of a market share. So I think we've seen those kind of logical steps in the way that the league has grown. And and then, as you said, we're getting uh, additional expansion. How likely do you think that is? Because I think many leagues would like to expand and have more money and have more influence uh what march 2023 they announced the plans for the expansion clubs and then they think there will be more after that as you said do you feel like that is going to be a a consistent thing of we're adding a couple teams every couple years or do you feel like it will be more the somewhat scattershot approach we've seen so far
1: so i don't know if it will be a consistent thing beyond the current plan and that current plan is to go to 14 next year as i said and then Um, I think the plan is for a team in Queensland to be announced later this year and then one other and they will come on board in 2026. It's even been discussed at the A-League. So there's a lot of markets that the A-League could go into. I was looking at um, markets that have put forward formal proposals. So Tasmania seems to be a market the A-League is quite keen on. If that team isn't called the Tasmanian Devils, yeah. they're doing do something. With? They're doing something wrong. But I even found a report that said the league had considered, um, or they'd had proposals from markets in Southeast Asia. Um, and they, of course, they already have a, a, a Wellington team in New Zealand. There's an Auckland team coming online next ne- next year. So they have already kind of got that cross boundary thing going on. Now going into Southeast Asia is covering a much larger uh, portion of the world but nonetheless I think there is an ambition for the A-League to be the most prominent division the most prominent league of that entire region and, eh, uh, Danny Townsend is, is, is the, is the commissioner. So he's the, or I don't think his official titner, title is the commissioner, but he's the equivalent of the commissioner. He's the A-League's Don Garber. And there were some quotes recently where he said, we've got underserved markets as the prior priority in this round. Next round, we're certainly looking at, at derbies. So he's, he's, that kind of sounds like what MLS did when they brought in online the, um, I guess the Pacific Northwest teams was designed with that in mind. You know, having Inter Miami joining with uh, with Orlando City, so there is a there is a recognition of what this this league needs to grow. It needs to create those connections with those communities. But yeah, it does feel like the A League, after kind of ten years of stagnation or figuring things out, as you put it, Taylor, is starting to accelerate things now.
0: What about uh, other competitions that these clubs are participating in? What are we looking at on the domestic cup side? And then in terms of uh, the UEFA Champions League equivalent, the AFC Champions League.
1: So yeah, there is the the AFC Champions League and you have a number of A-League teams uh, going into that that competition. Um, I believe there's a little quirk where... Well, the, the New Zealand teams are not able to qualify for the Asian uh, Champions League because technically they are part of the OFC, of course. And actually, I think, oh, yeah. I, I think some of their matches were taking place today. I saw a team from Fiji went through to the final of the OFC Champions League for the first time ever. So that might be a story that I, I cover at some point. But yeah, there's a weird quirk where the New Zealand teams that are currently just one team, but from next season, two teams, they aren't able to qualify for the Asian Champions League. But certainly the Australian teams... Are, and currently the the only Australian team to have won the AFC Champions League, which I actually used to write about a number of years ago. I, it was an enjoyable competition. I find it really interesting when you have teams from Japan and South Korea particularly being strong and then the Australian teams joining in as well and, and, and then teams from kind of uh, the UEE and Qatar and so on, it it covers a large, large part of the world. So you get lots of different cultures and teams and playing styles. I found it, as I say, an interesting tournament to watch and write about. But the only Australian team to have won the AFC Champions League so far is Western Sydney Wanderers. So that, again, feels kind of similar to MLS where you have the CONCACAF Champions League as this final frontier and whether MLS teams can become dominant in that competition. Australia has a similar sort of thing with the AFC Champions League.
0: Man, it's fascinating because I I felt like we weren't going to get as many direct comparisons uh, and yet you've got them in the league itself. You've got them in the Champions League. And then even in the Australia Cup, which is the equivalent of the FA Cup, or I would say the US Open Cup, you get uh, in 2023, I think over 700 teams were competing. Obviously, wow. <laughs> you get the smaller, amateur, less professional teams in the earlier rounds. And then you get, as you go up the pyramid, those teams joining later and later. Uh, but an interesting thing would be that because you don't have promotion and relegation, uh, the Australia Cup is seen as one of those opportunities when smaller clubs, lesser known clubs can beat uh, the, the major ones with more more funding, which feels very similar to the US Open Cup. So you get another connection between the two. Um, and when we're talking about those cup competitions and maybe more the domestic side of things, Graham, who are we looking at when it comes to the most successful teams uh as you said western city Wanderers the only one to win the afc champions league yeah Uh, but plenty of teams have won the a league itself yeah so western united are
1: the the reigning finals champions they won the grand final last year they beat uh, melbourne city in the grand final and the year before that melbourne city won it Historically, Sydney FC have won the most A-League titles with with five. When I talk about an A-League title, I'm talking about that that Mm -hmm. grand final rather than being the the premiers, as it's called. Then it's Melbourne Victory on four, Brisbane Roar on three, Perth Glory on two, and then Adelaide United, Central Central Coast Mariners, Melbourne City, and Newcastle Jets. They have all won one each. In terms of the the rivalries and and some of the big games in this division – There's the, um, so this is the name, the names that the fans call these rivalries by, similar to MLS again, how there's there's kind of El Trafico and so on, but there's the original Derby between Adelaide United and Melbourne Victory, the Sydney Derby, which is pretty self-explanatory between Sydney FC and Western Sydney Wanderers, the Big Blue, I like that name for a rivalry between Melbourne Victory and Sydney FC. Then my favourite is the Distance Derby. Yeah between Perth Glory and Wellington Phoenix which exists purely because they are the two clubs farthest away from each other and if you plot that on a map between new zealand and then the, the kind of northern coast of australia where perth is yeah there's a lot of distance between those two clubs so i kind
0: of i kind of like that there is some form of uh, some form of competition between those two how much reading did you do on the original rivalry uh, cuz i i found that one interesting but also confusing at the same time I didn't do that much reading. What did you find? Well, basically that it's Adelaide and uh, Melbourne victory, right? But it's South Australian, Adelaide, and then Victoria-based Melbourne. And it sounds like a lot of that is the historic rivalry between the two areas. It sounds a little bit like like the North-South divide in England, uh, maybe the East-West kind of divide when we're talking about, say like Boston and LA in basketball or New York and LA in pretty much every other sport it's that's what it sounds like is sort of a more regional rivalry, but maybe LA New York doesn't work because they're not right near each other. Whereas maybe that North South divided England is more apt.
1: Yeah, potentially. I mean, the, when I looked through a lot of these rivalries, that there were there was a lot of interesting history there. Um, as I say, the distance derby is the one that that caught my eye, and it seems like the a league, um, as I mentioned, the Townsend, the the commissioner or whatever his official title is, he's he's trying to inject more rivalry to to mm-hmm. to the league. So um, the Melbourne the Melbourne derby made headlines over the over the winter. We'll talk about this later on as as, as well. But that is, a, that is a game that I know BT Sport in the UK will always, will always trail, maybe similar to how El Trafico is maybe one of the, the only MLS games that kind of gets trailed in the UK, and you'll read quite a bit about on social media. The Melbourne Derby always kind of makes headlines here. I guess there's quite a lot of expat Brits over in Australia as well, which might be a factor. But, yeah, you always see the Melbourne Derby on, on TV, and you always see headlines about it. And then in
0: terms of the strength of the league, the quality of the league, Graham, how directly would you compare it to Major League Soccer or would you compare it to Major League Soccer at all? So this is the big question
1: with this league and really any league, and it's it's always a difficult one to answer because... How do they compare to Major League Soccer? Yeah, I, I
0: agree with any <laughs> league in
1: the world. Well, that, to be fair, that is Major League Soccer because of the difference between you know, the designated players mm-hmm. and then the players lower down the rung getting paid next to nothing. Like That does make MLS very difficult to compare to other leagues. But... In the A-League, as with any other division, there are some good teams, there are some bad teams, and that changes on a season-to-season basis. So it is difficult to compare, but according to the English FA, um, the the A-League is a band 6 league, which is actually the lowest classification that they offer. So I don't know how much stock to put in the band system, because according to the FA, the Scottish Premiership is band 3 and MLS is band 4. I'm not sure if I would put the Scottish Premiership above MLS. But it is fair to say that the A League is, is generally seen as quite a low quality league when compared to the to the big European leagues. What I would say about the A League is whenever I catch a game, and as I say, there are games often on Saturday mornings in, in, in the UK, I always find them entertaining. There is there is a chaos factor because maybe the quality isn't that high, and I do enjoy that about it. And I have to admit, when I see players like Jamie McLaren, who is the record top goal scorer in the league and when I see him doing as well as and he's again I think the top goal scorer in the league this season um he didn't do so well in Scottish football and I wouldn't consider Scott, the Scottish Premiership to be the highest level and then you've got obviously the come dog Jason Cummings who was freed up by Dundee a couple of seasons ago didn't do too well laterally in his career in Scotland he's the second top scorer in the league this season so those kind of those things do make me wonder a little bit about the mm-hmm. quality and, I, and and I know it's not always as easy as saying, well, this player didn't do well in this league, so they're a rubbish player. You know, circumstances can bring something out of a player. Jason Cummings does have talent. For for example, he was a Scotland international before he decided to play for Australia at a World Cup. But I think people kind of get too wrapped up in the quality debate. It's all kind of relative and isn't all soccer enjoyable anyway. So I do, watch, I do enjoy watching the league games when they're on a Saturday morning. But when you look at the players, you know, Jamie McLaren, um, star player, Jason Cummings, a star player, some of the foreign stars as well that have gone to the A-League, and look, I know MLS has had aging stars go go over there, but it feels like the A-League's maybe a level below some of the stars that have gone to MLS. Yeah. So Del Priero, did, he's maybe the biggest star to have ever played in the A-League. But then you have like Dwight York and Robbie Fowler going over there when I'm not sure they were really offering much at that stage of their career. William Gallis played there, Emil Heskey. I'd completely forgotten that David Villa went to play mm-hmm. for Melbourne City before NYCFC were ready. He he went and played a few games there to to stay warm, I guess. But yeah, in terms of the household names, there are there are some recognisable names right now. I wouldn't say there are really any, to be honest. I mean, there are some. I mean, Jack Rodwell is 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 over there. Carl, wow. Carl Jenkinson plays for Newcastle Jets. Nanny plays for Melbourne Victory. Morgan Schneiderlin, remember him? He's at Western Sydney uh, Wanderers. So there are a few recognisable names. Uh, Re- uh excuse me, Andrew Redmayne who is, do you remember the dancing goalkeeper from the World Cup playoff? He plays for Sydney FC. And actually, Mm -hmm. he's kind of representative of what the A-League is trying to do now. I think they look at the interest there is in the Socceroos, the the, the women's national team as well. And they're kind of now pivoting towards being, rather than being MLS light and having big names going over there every so often, I think they're very much trying to be an Australian league for Australia, which to be honest, isn't a bad strategy because everything that I read about australian sport they are they are very much uh interested in the in their own
0: if you if you want to say that mm-hmm. and so having a league that represents that is probably a good play that's really interesting and i think is my favorite thing i've learned and i'm glad that you agree with uh in doing the research for this show that i think i understood the a league to like on the surface level my assumption was that they were still basically doing the same things as major league soccer or trying to of of expanding, having the big names come over to bring in the fans, and then you still develop some domestic players, but it's about sort of uh, becoming one of those well-branded, the biggest leagues in the world. That does not seem to be what they're going for. I agree with you. It seems like it's much more about uh, developing young players, homegrown players. I I forget what their term. uh, Scholarship players, I think is what they're called. Um, And and sort of focusing on your own domestic talent, having some stars still, or some veterans, uh, maybe is a better way to put it, but I think that makes it really interesting because to your point, you're then getting maybe not the highest quality, but you're getting players that are more likely to directly com- compete for spots with the national team. And I think in that way, you're developing the game and developing the sport in the country uh, in your own sort of individual way, which I, I think makes a lot of sense. So it-, it makes the league that much more captivating, that much more interesting to me, a person who otherwise probably wouldn't be watching.
1: Yeah, I mean, Garang kuao is maybe one of the the best examples of what the A league is trying to do so he was one of the best young players in the A league he played for Central Coast Mariners he broke through as i think a 16 year old he then gets a move i believe in January of this year or maybe it was last summer he gets a move to Newcastle United and he's on loan at Hearts in Scotland um This season, which is why I kind of know a little bit about him. But there was a lot of excitement from Hearts fans in Scotland about getting this prospect because, by all accounts, he's 18 years old now, so still very young. Newcastle United still see him as still see him as one for the future. But he is an embodiment of what the A League is trying to do now, where they're trying to produce their own talent and then they're then using the, the A League as a springboard to some of the big European leagues.
0: Graham, in your reading or your familiarity with Australia, another comparison I would say to Major League Soccer is just that Australia doesn't seem to be completely football or soccer mad. It seems like there are multiple other sports that sort of rank higher on yeah. the uh, public interest. Is th- is that fair to say? Would you agree?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So much like MLS, the the A League was established to grow soccer in a country that has, like, a wider sporting ecosystem, as you referenced there. So in Australia, cricket and rugby and Aussie rules football, which is always a little bit of an alien sport to me. Mm-hmm. Um, they are the big sports in Australia. That's the sports that's played in, in, in the big stadiums, like the MCG in, in Melbourne as a, a cricket stadium. Also, Australia is absolutely Olympics daft, much like the USA is Olympics daft. So there is a lot of competition for soccer, and, and that kind of means the gauge of success for the A-League is a wider one. So, you know, they're looking at things like, has soccer become more popular in Australia since the league was created? I think the answer to that is yes. I found a, a study that said in 2002, only 11% of Australians supported a soccer team. Now that number is up to 34%. Now, I couldn't find anything on whether those were A-League teams being supported, but... Attendances have grown since the start of the league until now, as has the the number of of cities that have teams. It hasn't all been plain sailing though, and this brings us on to kind of the the modern discussion around the, the A League, and certainly a pertinent discussion that a lot of fans and experts around the league are having right now. In 2020, there was a bit of a a bit of a crisis. Um, so. It was perceived there was a lack of competitiveness. Attendances were kind of stagnating. The league in general was kind of uh, stagnating. There was uh, several independent studies at that at that time. One in particular recommended promotion and relegation to open up the, the Australian soccer pyramid. It also recommended greater autonomy for the clubs because before then it was the Australian Federation that that, that ran the A League. And this led to a lot of political tension within the league and then there was a, a FIFA backed report which actually sided with the clubs that said they should run the A-League. So for the start of the 2019-20 season, a new body was created, the A-League was passed over to this new body And the A-League opened itself up to outside investors and VC funds, and that has created a whole lot of new tension. So Silver Lake, which is an American private investment fund with a a lot of interest in clubs and leagues and sporting competitions around the world, they have a big stake in the A-League now. Some fans see that investment as a good thing. Others are suspicious of Mm -hmm. their involvement. And listeners might remember, I I kind of referenced this already, but... After the World Cup, which that World Cup was hugely positive for Australia, by the way, as they performed way above expectations. The most recent World Cup, the
0: 2020. Yeah, the
1: most recent yeah. Men's World Cup. they They certainly showed me because I had them as the worst team in that <laughs> whole tournament. And then they made it out of the group, which I wasn't expecting at all. But there was huge buy-in across the country. I remember scenes of thousands of fans watching big screens. And that was very quickly contrasted with immediately after that tournament finished, there was unrest from fans who were unhappy at the decision to sell the staging of the grand finals to Sydney for $10 million. So before then, the grand final, much like MLS Cup, it was whichever team had the best regular season record would host the, the final match. Um, now, all the finals are going to be held in Sydney because it's the biggest, most lucrative market. So this kind of illustrates the tension that now exists between the commercial ambition of the A-League and and its own fans. And it
0: is quite a delicate Situation at the moment. Yeah, let's talk more about the Sydney issue because that's one that felt like not inexplicable to me that decision to host those three finals, or I guess six finals on the men's and women's sides in in total uh, in Sydney. Like it's it's not dissimilar from hosting them in L.A. or New York here in the U.S. That like or having a predetermined site for the Super Bowl. I think the difference would be that the predetermined site for the Super Bowl rotates every single year, and sometimes it's in Minnesota, sometimes it's in Arizona, sometimes it's in Florida, and and so you get different states or different franchises get to host that Super Bowl. Whereas it feels like the perception this time is everything is in Sydney. It's where the richest clubs yeah. are. It's where the uh, Austra- football Australia is headquartered. The APL is headquartered there. Annual awards happen there. So there's this idea that everything is based in Sydney. And now you're putting the final there. I think the allegations of favoritism and of bias towards the big city uh, seem to be pretty strong and do seem to have broken a lot of that momentum that they had after 2022. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the most notable, biggest
1: protests happen at a Melbourne derby, where Melbourne sports fans are very vociferous in their belief that Melbourne, not Sydney, is the sporting capital of Australia – and they also have two, so Melbourne Victory are historically one of the most successful Australian teams. And then you have Melbourne City as well, obviously under the umbrella of City Football Group. They've got serious resources behind them. So they would argue, look, if the finals are getting moved to any one city in Australia, it should be getting moved to Melbourne, not not Sydney. So I don't think that was a coincidence at all. I think there is some um, regional tension
0: as well between, you know, like Queensland and New South Wales. It is still strange to me that uh, Melbourne City, who are affiliated with uh, City Football Group, obviously, uh, that they aren't the, like the predominant city. It feels like they should be Sydney City FC or something like that. And then that theory would hold even more, uh, like, I don't know, a- appropriate rationale behind it. But still, that that divide is pretty fascinating. And I think also, to my understanding, is representative of a lot of the the divides in Australia, that you do get those sort of geographic uh, divides what do you think, Graham? Do you, do you feel like there's much to this, or is this more of an Australian, like native? Like you have to be basically of Australia to care about this one one way or the other.
1: Maybe the latter, but I can understand the general fears and suspicions over the VC funds getting involved mm. and what that might what that might lead to. I mean, I can understand from a commercial point of view why the A League might want to become that that Southeast Asia competition that I, that I talked about. But from a fan's point of view, I would probably want an Australian and New Zealand league for that part of the world because the reason that the A-League was created was to serve the interests of Australian soccer and New Zealand soccer and to help that sport grow in that country. And so that would kind of be moving away from the original purpose of the league. So I think a lot of it is down to fear of what could be coming down the pipeline and how it will change the league. And look, some of it has been positive. I mentioned at the top of the show, this rebranding of having the 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 A-League split into A-League men and A-League women and I think there's a lot more funding for the women's division in Australia now than there was previously so these are obviously positive things I look at the way that the A-League is marketed now they do a lot of really good YouTube content they do these kind of mini documentaries around players which I wasn't aware of before I think they're relatively new over the last couple of seasons so there's a lot of stuff that with this new money is good But there's fear that there's a line and the VC funds will push the league over
0: that line. One more random one for me, Graham, uh, that, that I'm interested in and I'm guessing you will have some thoughts on. Why is there, or seemingly there is a strong connection between Scotland and Australia? That you have plenty of Australians playing in Scotland, but then also when you look... Yeah, I mean, like if you look at their national team for a moment, their most recent national team, I think one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of the most recent squad play in Scotland, and that's not including uh, Aaron Moy, who was at Celtic, Martin Boyle at at Hibbs. Uh, It it does seem like there's a pretty prominent connection, and when you look at foreign players to have played in the A-League, there's also a pretty sizable Scottish contingent there as well.
1: Yeah, so historically, Australia has a very favourable immigration policy for British people in general, but actually... For Scottish people, I guess, things like... And look, this is kind of a joke, but I actually think it's true. Like, good weather, like, nice weather year-round for Scottish people is quite appealing. So I know loads of people who have emigrated to, to, to Australia... One of my best pals moved to Australia for like three, four years to go and work. In fact, two of my best pals went and worked in Australia for three, four years. They're now back now. So I think historically that is maybe why there's a crossover between the two countries. More recently, I'm not sure it's got anything to do with that. I think it's just down to Scottish Premiership clubs looking for places they can get value Mm -hmm. in the transfer market and kind of stumbling across. I think there was a couple of success stories with players like Cammy Devlin, in the Scottish Premiership, who's a Hearts player and has been very good for Hearts. Um, And so all of a sudden, everyone's looking to the A-League. At the same time, I think some Scottish players going to the A-League kind of um, alerted A-League clubs to how there's value in the Scottish Premiership. And so both leagues are kind of looking at each other for value in the transfer market. I think that's really why there's been that increased traffic because it's not something I was aware of before. I mean, Hearts have like four Australian players at the moment on their books which mm-hmm. is not common for them at, at, at all Cammy Devlin being one of them um, St Mirren have a couple as well Keanu Bacchus is a, very, is, is, is a good player for, for St Mirren I think he's been in the national team as well I think he was at the World Cup so yeah I'm not sure it's related to the historical ties between the two countries but that maybe provides some explanation as to why there is
0: that traffic now so, as we uh, come to a close of this episode, any other thoughts? Do you want to prognosticate on the future of the A-League or just how you feel about the relative strength of the A-League at present time and where you think it may head?
1: I think this direction they're heading in with being an Australian league mm-hmm. is is a good thing and yep. maybe explains why fans are fearful that they will move away from that now that the big money is involved. So I can completely understand that. it's It's a league that's kind of on the peripheries of my... Awareness, my soccer awareness. Like it's not, there are some leagues in the world I just know nothing about, and I wouldn't profess to be an expert about the league um, by any stretch. But it is a league that I could see myself getting interested in if, if the quality was maybe lifted a little bit more and if there were some more ripple effects across world football. I think if more players... For instance, if if uh, if Cowell ends up being huge for Newcastle United, that is the kind of thing that might make me look at the A-League a little bit more to see if, which young players are coming next down the pipeline. So I think there are a couple success stories away from becoming more mainstream and becoming more notable in the,
0: in the kind of public consciousness. All right. Well, Graham then... Ruffin- Uh, A man who has knowledge of almost every league in the world, I'm going to say, acknowledging that it's only peripheral with the A-League. I feel like that is still more than most people and maybe a lot of Australians. Roughly 70% of Australians, I'm guessing, based on the numbers you threw out earlier. What's the biggest league that you feel like you know the least about? Oh, man. Um, Russia? Turkey? Greece? Greece?
1: No, I know a little bit about Turkey and Greece. Russia, I feel like I don't know a huge Which amount. Is fine. Even then, there's a, there's a few teams there. Like, it always surprises me how little I know about Belgium, the Belgian pro yeah, league. Yeah, that's a
0: good call.
1: Considering how good their national team is and how many players come from Belgium, it feels weird that I don't know much about their clubs. Even their big clubs like Bruges and so on, I don't know that much about. Yeah, but, we don't even know how yeah, to pronounce Belgium.
0: it properly. <laughs> That's true. There you go. All right, <laughs> well, <laughs> Graham, Graham Rothman, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to delve into uh, Australia with me and the A-League, uh, A-League men specifically. Uh, I really appreciate it, and I found this really enjoyable because I like with Soccer 101 going into topics that either we don't know that much about before we start uh, researching them or are entirely new to us, and this was one that I think i knew something about but i think a lot of what i knew about it was mistaken or outdated so that's why i very much enjoyed this one i hope you did too
1: thank you taylor well yeah it was fun i'm still not doing an accent
0: though <laughs> nor am i because i cannot i will just say listeners thank you so much and good day